You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You know, we, we came from a church in Cincinnati, and every year there they had this Easter play. Um, and, and they had done it for like almost 30 years, and every year 10 performances, and this church only held about 1,000 people, and so they would have about 10,000 people to come. And over the years, there's some kind of funny stories of doing this live play night after night. One of the funniest was we had this new guy playing Jesus. And uh, so after the crucifixion scene, he would have to go downstairs and get all the stuff washed off of him. And then he would have to get ready for the resurrection. He would have to really run through the church, the basement of the church, and he would come up. And so at this one particular moment in this song, Uh, The lights were just perfect, and there was fog and everything coming out of the tomb. The stone rolls away. Jesus comes out with his hands up, and the crowd just goes nuts. Everybody gets on their feet, and they're whistling and clapping and everything. Well, well, on this one occasion, we had a new guy playing the role of Jesus. And um, when he comes out, I think they used too much liquid nitrogen in the tomb to create the fog. And if you get a lot of that, it actually displaces oxygen. And so he wasn't getting enough to breathe. And so the stone rolls back, the lights are there, the music hits that point. And instead of Jesus coming out, you just see this hand shaking, reaching for a door. You know? <laughs> he emerges, his eyes roll back in his head, and he faints, you know? And so the, 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 the orchestra stops playing one instrument at a time. It's really awkward. The lady singing says, is there a doctor in the house? Is there a doctor? All I'm thinking is Jesus is down. Jesus is down. Funny, funny stuff. Wish we had a video of that. That would be awesome if we did. Um, My friend Dave was playing the role of Jesus a couple of years ago, and he says, do you know what it's like when, when that play is over, what happens? And I said, no. He says, Everybody wants to take their picture with you. And so he, he was telling me about this one family that comes up and this guy has his wife to stand by Jesus. And Dave says, I stand there, you know, and he takes our picture. And then he puts his two kids there. And so I'm like this. And, and so I, I said, hey, nice to meet you guys. He goes, oh, no, I want one. And so his wife's got the camera and Dave says, the guy puts his arm around me and we're standing there smiling, you know, for the picture. And he goes, I love you, man. And so I said to Dave, what what did you say to him? And he goes, I I know this is odd, but I said, I love you too, you know. (laughs) And he said, I'm thinking, you know, to myself, you understand this is a play, right? I'm not Jesus. I know that looks like a rock wall, but that's really foam. There's two befores are holding that up. That's not a city. This is a show. This is a play. We're all characters. We're actors in this thing. And I think when you read Matthew 23, we've been in Matthew 23 for a few weeks now talking about hypocrisy. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying some people's lives are like that. It's a show. It's a play. It's a performance. It's not real. In fact, he directly accuses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of that issue. It's a show. Everything you do, you do to be seen by men. It's a play. It's a performance. You're not real. 
And so I've tried to get at the heart of this chapter, and I think there's a lot of language we could use to talk about it. But I think some language that makes a lot of sense would be this. Jesus is saying there is no correlation between what appears on the outside and what is actually taking place on the inside. There is no correlation with what's on the outside and what's really in your hearts. So let's pick up where we left off last, okay? Matthew 23, and we'll start reading with verse 25. Matthew 23, and we'll be in verses 25 through verses 28 today, okay? So here we go. Again, very firm, strong words by Jesus. And he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. And here's the word again that he uses six times in this chapter. You hypocrites. You, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed. And self-indulgence. Those are two key words that we'll focus on today. Greed and self-indulgence. Then he says, blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous. But, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So on the outside, you might appear to be one thing. But on the inside, you are full of greed and self-indulgence and hypocrisy and wickedness. Uh, do you like watermelon? You do? I, I think for me to say I like watermelon would be uh, unfair. I think that has to go for me in the love category. <laughs> it goes in the same category with chocolate no-bake cookies. Maple nut goodies. Homemade ice cream. I mean, I love watermelon. I don't, I don't like watermelon. I love watermelon. But, but honestly, I, I don't have any idea how to choose a good watermelon. I don't, I don't know, you know, how you do it. I, when I'm in a store, if there's a lot of people around, like, trying to buy a watermelon, too, always stump on it. But I don't know what that means. I'm just being hypocritical at that point. I'm appearing to know something I don't know. I've just been told you should thump on them. So I do. But I don't even know what that means when I thump on it. So after first service this morning, I had all these people coming to me saying... Oh, I'll teach you how to pick a good watermelon. You have to have an ear for music. You want a good solid bass sound. That's what you're looking for. Another lady says to me, you don't want this. You want this. This is too ripe. Okay? She kept saying, go, not for this, not for this. You want this. Okay? I said, honestly, when you buy a watermelon in a grocery store, are you stand there doing this? She goes, I do. Hit it here and hit it here. That's the sound you're looking for. Don't go for this. You don't want this. You want this. You know how I buy watermelon? If it's pretty on the outside, I buy that one. 
And sometimes I get that watermelon home and I cut it open and pretty on the outside meant nothing. Man, we bought a watermelon here last fall, I guess, and got it home and cut it open. I said, Annette, come and look at this thing. It smells bad. I mean, it was spoiling inside. It was, we just threw it in the trash. You couldn't eat it. It was awful. I think what is happening over these last few weeks that we're spending time in Matthew 23 together is that Jesus is allowing us to look on the inside of our own lives, our own hearts. And regardless of what other people see on the outside, what Jesus is doing is he has provided this window for us. And the window is Matthew 23. And when we look through that window, we're beginning to see what we really are inwardly. And I've been honest with you and confessed to you that it's been hard for me to take that look. And many of you have sent emails to me and had conversations and phone calls with me saying, Rick, it's hard for me to take that look. But, but I think in the last few weeks, God is helping us to see what he sees. So let's talk a little bit about Matthew 23, 25 through 28, okay? The issue here that Jesus is referring to in the two examples that he gives is ceremonial cleansing. So we, we don't understand that very well. We don't talk about that to each other. We don't talk about it often when we come to church. It's not something that we think about often. But according to Jewish law, something being ceremonially clean was important. So the first encounter that I ever had of it was I made this friend in Cincinnati. His name was Stuart Hodash. He was a Jewish man. Stuart had a grandson, and he says one day, he says to his grandfather, um, I, I want to know more about Christmas because being raised a Jewish boy, he knew nothing about Christmas. And so Stuart said, well, we have good Christian friends. And so we can go to these Christian friends and they can help us know more about Christmas. And so... He said, we will go to one of their Christmas services. And so Stuart Hodash brings his grandson and sets their Christmas service. And then after the service was over, I sat down for a long time, maybe 20 minutes with his grandson, talking about Christmas to him. Why we celebrate Christmas. So Stuart also invited this friend that he has at our church who introduced us so we could become friends. He invited us to a service at the synagogue. And so after the service at the synagogue, there was a reception and Stuart says to me and my friend, you guys should stay for the reception. So we did. And so when we went into the reception hall, right as you walk in, there is this basin, this bowl, and there's this stream of water shooting out. Now, when I say a stream of water, you might think of like a water gun, that size stream. Not, not at all. Not even a very fine stream. I mean, so fine that when you run your hands over it with your hands up, not, I mean, down, not up. I got to get that right. Up and down, they're, they're hard for me. Sometimes I get confused. <laughs> But when you ran your hands over them like this, your hands barely got any water at all. There was a silk-looking towel, but you didn't even touch the towel. Nobody did. But everybody that went through, before they ate, they put their hands over that stream of water. When, when I was a young boy growing up in Kentucky, and my mom called me, it was time for supper, and that's what we ate in Kentucky every evening was supper. We only ate dinner once a week, and we had that on Sunday for lunch. And so when my mom would call me for supper... I mean, she wanted my sleeves pushed up. She wanted soap up to my elbows. I mean, she wanted me to get my hands washed. That's not what we're describing here. So when Jesus talks about a dish or a cup being clean, 
He is referring to the Jewish law of something being clean in a ceremonial aspect. So, he's not talking about physical dirt that's left food residue left from a previous meal. Um, My friend Rich went into a restaurant one day and the waitress said, can I get you something to drink while you're looking at the menu? And he said, yeah, I have a cup of coffee. So she brings back a cup of coffee and sets it down and walks away. Rich reaches over and grabs the cup and as he starts to move the cup to his mouth, he notices there's lipstick on the cup. So he motions her to come back and he says, there's uh, something on the cup here. Sets it back down. She picks it up and says, you know what I've done? I have given you my coffee. She takes another sip of the coffee and says, I'll go get you your own. (laughs) Rich says, I wasn't going to drink out of the cup because it's obviously dirty. That's not what we're dealing with. Here's the deal. If If a person is deemed unclean, according to Jewish law, you would have to go through a process of several days to be purified again. And so if an unclean person touches a cup and a dish, if the dish has a brim, if it does not have a rim or a brim, then it's not deemed unclean. It's complicated, I know. If it has the rim, the cup then is considered unclean. Not the outside of the cup, only the inside of the cup. That's why Jesus says, if you clean the inside, then the outside is clean as well. So if you kind of hang on to that for a minute, let me move to the other example. Tombs were often along roadsides. And so the Jewish law said that if you come into contact with a corpse, you become unclean. Not only if you become in contact with a corpse, but if you come into contact with a tomb, you become unclean. And so you remember how every year the Jewish people would make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem for festivals like Passover. And so if on the way to the Passover, you came into contact with a tomb, you became in that moment unclean. And so here's what they did. They would go out before all the pilgrims and make the journey to Jerusalem. And they would take whitewash, white paint, and literally just paint the the stones in front of the tombs along the roadsides. And they would stand out very bright and very clean and very pretty, painted white. You say, why is it important? Because if you became unclean, you could not enter the temple and you could not worship. No sense in going to Passover. And so Jesus says, you Pharisees, you remind me of a cup that is washed on the outside but is unclean inwardly. You remind me of whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they look beautiful and clean and white. But on the inside, they are full of decaying men's bones. On the outside, you look good. You project an image. You appear to be holy. But on the inside, you are full of greed and you are full of self-indulgence and you are full of hypocrisy and you are full of wickedness. You're a show. You're a play. You're a performance. You're pretending. 
And you are not what you appear to be. So, what about this word greed? I, I've never considered myself greedy. Are, are you a greedy person? If you just pop open a dictionary and, and you try to define the word greed in our English language... It would say something like this, an excessive desire to gain or acquire more than you really need. Well, I don't like that definition. Because I don't guess I need very much stuff. But then I go back and ask myself, is my desire excessive? Do I have an excessive desire to acquire and possess more than I need? I, I don't know that my desire is excessive. Greed, someone said, is the anger that says, I deserve more stuff. Greed is the envy that says, look at all of their stuff. Greed is the pride that says, look at all of my stuff. Greed is the lust for more and more stuff. It's the anger that says, I desire more stuff. It's the envy that says, look at all of his stuff. It's the pride that says, look at all of my stuff. It's the lust that says, I want more and more stuff. Um, I, I think the translation of the word that Jesus used to the word greed is, is a little bit um, light. Because it can refer even to the extent of robbery or plundering. And so it's this, with no regard from anyone else, I want this stuff and I'm taking this stuff. Without any regard or concern for anybody, I, I'm just going to get this stuff. I don't care about anybody else. I want this stuff. I'm going to have this stuff. Here, here's, here's, my, here's my struggle. Annette and I have moved into this house. A few months ago, and you know how it is when you move into a house, you're trying to make your stuff fit. And, and you find yourself saying, we need some different stuff. And so you, you go shopping to buy stuff. And, and so we've been saying to each other lately, we got to get the rest of this stuff. You know, to finish this house up. And so there's some things that I've been wanting. And, and Annette has has struggled to see the value of some of the things that I want. So she says, Rick, you know, just remember, we're paying for a wedding. Our daughter Brittany's getting married in September in Cincinnati. And then we've got the stuff for the house that we're trying to get. And so, like, I've been thinking, you know, that a, a bicycle would be a really good 
purchase, a good stewardship purchase. You get one body, you got to keep it in shape. You know what I'm saying? And she struggled. Here's, here's our greatest struggle. See, she thinks that if we buy something for the house, we're buying something for both of us. I think when you buy stuff for the house, that's stuff for your wife. What do you think? Can I get a witness? <laughs> There's not too many brave souls out there. So I decided to make a list. I wish I hadn't made that list a couple weeks ago because then I started into this passage. So I've got a list of stuff I want. I'm admitting it. I've got a list. Does that make me greedy? Someone sent me a link to, um, to a, a news article. And so I, I went on and, and read it. And here's, here's what it was about. Newly elected Pope Francis. Last Sunday in a homily. He says inconsistency on the part of our clergy. Between what they say and what they do. Is undermining the church's credibility. Inconsistency on the part of our clergy between what they say and what they do is undermining our church's credibility. And in his homily, he says, those who listen to us and observe us must be able to see in our actions what they hear from our lips. So those who observe and watch us must be able to see in our actions the same thing that they hear from our lips. In other words, what we appear to be on the outside must have some correlation with what's inside of us. There must be some consistency. And Jesus says on the outside what I'm seeing is what I would expect to see, but on the inside I'm seeing greed and I'm seeing self-indulgence and I'm seeing hypocrisy and I'm seeing wickedness. There's no righteousness in you. I've been, I've been like you this past week, really, you know, aware of what's been happening, especially in Boston. And so I find myself uh, grabbing my phone and, and going online to read about the latest updates. And I find myself... Uh, stopping in front of a television and standing there for a while and watching one of the news programs um, with what was unfolding. The, the, the story that just simply really um, kills me is the story of that eight-year-old little boy who died and his sister lost her leg. And his mother has a head injury. And here's this father. And, and the struggle is that for what cause, for what purpose, what was accomplished? What good has come? What, what has been advanced? And so last night I, I turned on the television and, 
And I saw the most graphic pictures I'd seen. And I'm, I said, Annette, you've got to come in here. you just got to see this. I, I didn't realize so many people lost arms and legs in this thing. And so I listened like probably you listened to people who were friends of this young 19-year-old suspect, Jahar, who was still living and now in custody. And they, they said, what was Jahar like? What's he like at college? What was he like in high school? And every person to the T said the same thing. He was typical. He was normal. He was an average high school kid. He was an average college kid. He was at campus on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, and there was no difference. He was just the same. He, you wouldn't have suspected a thing. And what they were saying was on the outside, he looked and acted like us. On the inside, we had no idea there was lust of murder in his heart. On the outside, he was like everybody else. On the inside, we had no idea he had so much hate for the American people. There was no correlation between what was out here and what was in here. imagine coming to church on Sunday and somebody walking up to you and saying, hey, you're looking sharp today. Is that, that's a new shirt. Is that Brooks Brothers? I like that. Boy, you paid some money for that shirt. You're looking, the whole ensemble, you can put it together. You got it. You look, you look extra good in that haircut and that smile you always wear on your face. Always faithful to God's house. Always faithful to worship. Hey, let me ask you a question. Come here. And the person leans in and says, how can a person who looks as sharp and as put together as you do on the outside, be so sorry and so rotten in your heart. I mean, I think that would have a negative impact on church attendance. (laughs) But those were really the words of Jesus. To the Pharisees. On the outside you look clean and pretty. And religious. But on the inside there is greed. And self-indulgence. And hypocrisy. And wickedness. Jeremy, why don't you come up? I heard this song for the first time this week. I'll just tell you, it's harsh. The words penetrated my heart, however. And I challenge you to listen closely and look at the screen and find those words and read them. And let God speak to you. As Jeremy sings for us. Thank you, Jeremy. I 
living like I deserve anything of my house, my fence, my kids, my wife, and our sober where we're safe and white, and I am wrong. Of these things I repair And I repent And I repent Of parading my high liberty And I repent Sins for others that are easier to hide. I am wrong. Love these things I've been. Cause when I am alone, even I can't keep. Oh no. Like the skies to see through makes my own eyes. And I repent, and I repent, trading truthful false. stand with me please and would you bow your head that's all right if you want to tell Jeremy he did a great job that's good so father in these moments we um, we thank you that you love us and we thank you that you love us so much that you refuse to leave us like we are we thank you for giving us your word And as painful as it is sometimes to see ourselves for who we really are. We thank you for the faithfulness of your Holy Spirit. 
And so, Lord, as you speak clearly to us today, we pray for mercy. And we pray for the grace, Lord, to change. And we pray this in Jesus' name. So before we go, why don't we sing together and worship together and really we're going to pray together. And so you can pray where you are or if you want to come forward to pray, you're welcome to as well. But let's be in God's presence before we go. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.